Thank you, Brother Bondi, Buddy, for filling in for Scott. Uh, he and Kenneth and who else? Jason are uh, in Ohio finishing up that church. I think they had their dedication service this morning, and so that's a blessing. Appreciate Buddy filling in this morning. Did a good job. Take your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. If you're looking for a feel-good sermon, this is not it. Come back next week. Maybe we'll have one that next week. We're going to be talking about the destruction of Sodom. One of the reoccurring issues that face those of us who believe in eternal security is what do we do about those who claim to be saved but don't act like it? Lot is one of those people that we have to wonder about. If all we had to go on is what we read in the book of Genesis, we would probably have to say, no, he's lost. But the apostle Peter, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, something very interesting about Lot. He says... He calls him a righteous man who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, whose righteous soul was tormented from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Apparently, Lot's conscience troubled him at what he saw around him, but not enough to cause him to leave. Yet God, who alone knows the hearts of every person, knew that Lot had been justified by faith, just like Abraham had. Even though he was greatly stained by Sodom's wickedness, he apparently did not participate in it. Lot is an illustration and a warning to worldly, half-hearted Christians. He had knowledge of God, he even desired to have fellowship with God, but he wanted all that the world had to offer too. And in the end, he lost almost everything he valued. The course of his life seems to be one long downhill slide. The first step in his fall was found in Genesis 13.10 when Abraham gave Lot a choice of what land to take when their two Herds of sheep need to, be need to be separated because their herdsmen were in conflict. Abraham gave Lot a choice of which land to take, and he chose the Jordan Valley just outside of Sodom. He saw lush fields for his cattle and plenty of water. But a good place to raise cattle is not necessarily a good place to raise a family. By choosing to live near Sodom, Lot was exposing himself and his family to gross moral evil. Lot probably would have said, well, he was only living there so that he could provide a better standard of living for his family. But moral compromise often begins with a tiny step in the wrong direction. Lot never seems to have considered the spiritual implications of moving his family to Sodom. You see that progression? He looked... Actually, it says he looked with longing toward Sodom, uh, Genesis 13.10. Then he moved his tents near Sodom, 13.12.
Next we find him in chapter 14, verse 12, living in Sodom. And finally, here in chapter 19 and verse 1, we see that he is sitting in the gate of Sodom. He is actually a city official. The Apostle Paul warns uh, in his letter to the Corinthians, found in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can any man lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, each man's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each man's work of what sort it is. And any man's work which he is built on endures, he will have a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through the fire. Lot certainly seems to be one of those who was saved, but saved as through the fire. Singed, smelling like smoke, stripped of everything, and traumatized by the severe discipline of the Lord. When we last looked in Genesis, you'll remember we found Abraham interceding on the behalf of his, na- of his nephew and the residents of the city of Sodom. The Lord has said that if just ten righteous people could be found in the whole city of Sodom, the city would be spared. The angels leave Abraham and they head into the city at the end of chapter 18, and now we pick up with the story as the two angels come into the city of Sodom in the evening hours. Begin reading in verse number 1, we look at the angelic visit. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. And wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered into his house. And then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. The Bible tells us that the two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening. They find Lot sitting in the gate of Sodom. That doesn't mean he was simply sitting at the gate, you know, watching people go by. It means that he was, adju- uh, he was a magistrate or a, justi- a judge in the system there in Sodom. It's a technical term. Because he was a man that was given to hospitality and because it was the custom of the day, Lot invited the two men to spend the night in his home, but he apparently had no idea that these were angels. This was an act of hospitality, there's no doubt, but... I think it's also motivated, at least in part, by the fact that Lot knew how dangerous it was for those men to spend the night in the city square. We see that revealed in the second part, the awful depravity. As word spread throughout Sodom that two men had come to visit Lot, the true character of that city becomes disgustingly clear. Verses 4 and 5 tell the story so plainly that really little comment is necessary. Now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city, 
both young and old, surrounded the house. They called out to, to Lot, where are the men that you have here tonight? Bring them out so that we can know them sexually. It is from this <clears throat> shameful episode that we get the word sodomy, which describes the sinful act itself, and sodomites, which describes those engaged in that sin. It's hard to think of a more perverse and disgusting picture in all the Bible. Here are hundreds of men who are inflamed with lust, coming after just two visitors to their city. Yet in response to their vulgar cries, Lot does something that's even more terrible, if that's possible. Lot offers to give the mob his two virgin daughters if they will leave the strangers alone. Verse 6 says, And so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. What could Lot possibly have been thinking in order to make such an offer? We may try to justify Lot's behavior by saying he was trying to protect his guest. He was. Or that he was counting on the fact that a mob of gay men would not be interested in his daughters. Or that he hoped that his offer, as serious as it was, would cause the mob to see the barbarity of their behavior. But whatever Lot's reason may have been, the mob wasn't having any part of it. And Lot very quickly learned how little respect the people had for him and for his convictions. The Apostle Peter, writing about the difficulty of living for God in a sinful society, warned Christians when he wrote in 1 Peter 4.4, They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of wickedness, and they will heap abuse on you. The truth is still... The truth and standing for the truth will not make you popular. But even the world has more respect for people who stand up for what they believe than for people who do not stand up for what they believe. I think it's very significant that the people seem to deeply resent the fact that he condemned their actions as wicked. He says, what you are doing is wicked. So inflamed with unnatural desire, they again demanded that the two men be given to them. And then verse 9 says, and they said, stand back. And then they cried, this one came to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we, he, we will do worse with him than with them. And so they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. When it became evident that Lot could not restrain the mob, the angels themselves intervened. In response, the angels pulled Lot back inside, and then they struck the crowd blind. Verses 10 and 11 says, But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Now, understand with me that the blindness here does not leave these victims sightless. The Hebrew word here means a temporary, confused daze. So the mob could not see 
or figure out exactly where they were. Somehow, they were unable to find the door to break it in. But even the blindness doesn't keep them from trying. It reminds me of how the AIDS crisis in our own day is met with the caution that what needs to happen is individuals need to have safe sex, but they keep right on in a sinful pattern of life, apparently without any thought of God or repentance. Third, we look at the announced destruction in verse 12. And then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who had married his daughters, and said, Get up. Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. I believe that it's a mistake to conclude that homosexuality is the only reason that God judged Sodom. And no, I'm not defending homosexuality. The Bible is very clear about the sinfulness of homosexuality. What I am interested in noting here is how homosexuality is viewed as a evidence of the degree of how sinful any society has become. Let me read you the words of Andy McQuinney because I think he did a good job of presenting this. He says, Homosexuality represents man's wholesale abandonment of God's ways with respect to sexuality. Romans 1, 23 through 26 lay out three kinds of exchanges that men make in their abandonment. First, the worship of God is exchanged for various forms of idolatry. Secondly, the truth about God is exchanged for lies. And third and finally, natural sexual relations are abandoned for unnatural ones. So as far as the Bible is concerned, Homosexuality is the end of the line for rejectors of God. That is why homosexuality is uniformly condemned in the Bible. Many years ago, probably 25, 28 years ago, maybe more than that now, I sat with, I went with Brother Sam Bailey to Hendricks College. Been invited to speak to a religion class. Part of what he spoke about was morality in the Bible. And somehow by the end of the class, uh, one of the young men came up and said, well, I just want you to know that the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. I said, oh, really? It doesn't. No, nowhere does the Bible consent, condemn homosexuality. I had to say, you know, you must not be reading the same one I'm reading because it clearly does. What I can say is it doesn't use the word homosexual, but it does condemn the sin. The Bible says about the sin of homosexuality that it is wickedness, Genesis 19.7. It's an abomination, according to Leviticus 18. It's a de detestable act, according to Leviticus 20. It is a folly, according to Judges 19. It is unnatural and degrading passions, according to Romans 1.27. And it is gross immorality, according to Judges Jude 7. 
To say that homosexuality is an alternative form of sexuality is like saying that bulimia is an alternative form of eating or that drunkenness is an alternative form of drinking. It is not simply a benign alternative lifestyle. It is a perversion of God's plan for mankind resulting in sin, misery, and death. Sodom was not destroyed because of the rampant homosexuality alone, but because it was a sign of the level of depravity of every kind in Sodom. Now, there are some differences of opinion concerning Lot's children. You may have noticed this on your own. Are the sons-in-laws married to other daughters who choose not to leave Sodom? Or are the sons-in-laws that he's talking about simply betrothed to his virgin daughters who still, at this point, live at home? I don't know the answer to that. If he has any sons or if he has any other daughters, they did not choose to leave Sodom, and that's entirely possible. Whoever the sons-in-laws may refer to, when Lot tells them of the coming judgment, they laughed at him, and they laughed at the suggestion that there was even a judgment to come. Now look with me at the anxious deliverance, and first of all, we look at how he hesitated. When the morning dawned, the angel urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand and his wife's hand and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, they brought him out and set him outside of the city. And so it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be destroyed. The angels stressed the great urgency to leave the city without any delay and without looking back. But Lot was so hesitant that the angel almost literally had to compel him to live to leave the city. Even then, he not only hesitates, he haggles. In verse 18, then Lot said to them, Please know, my Lord, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy with which you have shown us by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil <clears throat> overtake me and I die. See now this city is near enough to flee to, and it's a little one. Please let me escape there and is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor, and the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. So even after the angels rescue Lot's family out of Sodom, he begs them to not be put to too much discomfort. Even now, we'd like to keep a little bit of the world. The essence of his request, of course, is his insistence on his own way. He implies that going to the mountains, in doing so, God in saving his life is only imperiling it more 
by insisting that he go to such a dangerous and inhospitable place. He insists that he is not able to make his way to the mountain, and he suggests that Zor, the name which means little, be spared so that he might not be too much discomforted. Now, I'm not going to say a lot about that. I just want you to look back at one aside, if you will. If you look back at verse 22, something just kept grabbing me out of this in that it was such a picture, I believe, of the rapture. Verse 22, the phrase he says, For I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Reminds me of 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which tells us that we will be spared the wrath of God, that believers will be removed before the judgment of God. I believe in that sense that this is a picture of the rapture. Now, fifth, the awaited, ju- the awaited doom. And then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heavens. And so he overthrew these cities and all the plains and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to a place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, behold, a smoke of the land which went up from like smoke from a furnace. And it came to pass when the Lord destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. And when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. For many years, the skeptics proclaimed the story of the destruction of Sodom a myth or a legend because they could not find the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. However, in recent years, new excavations on the southeastern side of the Dead Sea have uncovered ruins of what appear to be Sodom and Gomorrah located near what were then tar pits. These cities appear to have been suddenly destroyed in a devastating fire, which fits the description found in Genesis 19. There's a lot more of the chapter. I'd invite you to read it. But I just want to point out to you that several things now happen in quick succession. First, the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed and broad daylight by burning sulfur, verses 23 through 25. Second, Lot's wife turns back at the destruction, says she looked, actually it says she looked long and lingering. She was, she was with him, but her heart was back in Sodom, and she became a pillar of salt. In fact, the Lord himself uses that analogy in Luke to talk about having our heart to attach the world, he said simply, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Third, the next morning, Abraham stood and he surveyed the smoking ruins. And then the daughters of Lot got their father drunk and they committed incest with their own father in verses 30 through 38. This last episode is so sordid that one might wonder why the Bible includes it. Well, on one level, it explains the origin of the Moabites and Ammonites. Those were nations who would eventually become the perpetual enemies of Israel. 
On another level, it also shows how polluted Lot's family had become. Even though Sodom was destroyed, the spirit of the city was reborn in a cave. Cities aren't evil. People are evil. Unless the heart is radically changed, we can see that same thing happen within our own nation as we are judged for our sins. As we examine the events that are recorded in Genesis 19, several questions may come to mind. But in closing, I just want to consider, why did God destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? There are perhaps many answers to that question. But I just want to direct your thoughts to three things as we close. God destroyed these cities, first of all, because these cities were given over completely to moral perversion. Sodom was again not destroyed simply because of the rampant homosexuality, but because it was a sign of the level of depravity of every kind that existed in Sodom. Secondly, it was also a warning about judgment. Peter also warns that in the last days there will be those who will scoff and say, where is the judgment of God? Where is that? Jude 7 makes the same point. He says, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, he says, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. God judges those wicked cities so that the ungodly will know. Yes, there is a day of judgment coming, and God does judge sin. Third and finally this evening, and this maybe is the hardest for me to take, because the righteous failed to make a difference. If ever salt had lost its savor, it happened right here. Even though Peter, 2 Peter 2, 7 calls Lot a righteous man who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, Lot was so in love with the world that he was powerless to change what was around him. He lost his testimony, and in so doing, he lost his own family and almost lost his own life. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are long-suffering. We know that you have not yet come in judgment because it is your will that all would be saved. We understand that not all will be saved because not all would choose to accept what Jesus Christ has offered. But it's still your will, your desire for them to be saved. Father, I pray that you'd help us to look at Lot this evening and really focus in on the fact that here's a man who could have influenced his world in a better way. Could he have changed the whole city of Sodom? Probably not. But in the process of losing his testimony, he didn't share with anyone. And those who knew him mocked him because they didn't believe. He really believed what he said. Father, help us not to be like salt that has lost its savor. But help us, Lord, to stand for the truth 
They realize that in standing for the truth, it will not always be popular. That people will not always like what we have to say. The truth sometimes is hard. But we need to be men and women who are willing to tell the truth to a world that is dying, is lost without a Savior. Father, I pray that you'd help us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.